Well, good morning. Welcome to 2020, first Sunday of 2020. My name is Adam Prawl. I'm the youth director here at Spring Hill Presbyterian Church, and I am so glad you have been able to make it this morning. I know the holidays are wrapping up. Uh, depending on some of you, you might consider MLK holiday, maybe not. We'll see. But I'm glad everyone is here this morning. Uh, this morning, we are focusing on one last extraordinary but ordinary man that kind of is not a part of the nativity scene. And so it kind of, the sermon series we just finished on kind of has come to an end, but it's not a part of the new sermon series that Ryan is going to start up next week um, as he is gone this week, if you did not know that. Uh, he's down in Colorado with his family having some great time in colder weather, I think, than us right now, which is, I'm glad I came up here. Uh, but let us jump into uh, Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, and we're going to be talking about John the Baptist this morning. And so let's begin. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into fire. I baptize you with the water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. This is the word of the Lord. God. We do not live on bread alone, but on every word of God's Amen. So here we have John the Baptist, which he is in the wilderness, which I try to picture as the 2,000 years ago Bear grills of the world. Um, out there in the wilderness, living on just locusts and honey. But if we look at the River Jordan... It has got some green trees around it. This is actually a photo of the River Jordan. But as soon as you kind of leave the River of Jordan, it soon becomes desert. And you can't really live anywhere outside but of the River Jordan. You have to live kind of right there. And, of course, where John the Baptist was, he was very far away from most civilizations. And so... When these people were traveling to him, they were traveling miles upon miles to get to him. And they were there for a reason. And as we looked into that scripture this morning, we see kind of this one word pop up a couple different times. 
And that word is repent or repentance. That word, words, have a lot of baggage come with it. Especially in modern society, we don't like to really dive into it sometimes. It's tough for us sometimes. But this morning, we're going to break it down into three simple words. And that is grace, or guilt, grace, and gratitude. The three G's. Very simple, I hope. But we all know, however, we are all sinners, and this whole world is filled with sin. And we usually have this feeling of guilt come right after we sin, or might come down a couple weeks down the road, but we always have this feeling of guilt within us. And what matters most is what we do with that guilt. We can either have it bear down onto our heart and wear us down, or we can go and confess it. I'm going to bring up the story of the prodigal son. I hope everyone knows it, but in case you don't, I'm going to recap it for you. The prodigal son was a, this son who, he had a brother and he knew his dad had some wealth and when his dad passed away, he would get half and the son was sitting there thinking, you know what, I want my half now. I know everyone's still doing well, but I want it now so I can go and have fun. And his father off, just said, hey, here you go, here's your half. And the son ran off and he squandered all that wealth that he just got. And all of a sudden he found himself ending up living a really low life job, basically feeding, uh, not sheep, but pigs and was sitting there thinking, you know what, if I could just have the lowest servant of my father's job, it would be better than how I'm living right now. The guilt of his sin finally hit him, and he thought, I'm just going to go apologize to my father, and maybe he can bring me in as a low servant, and it'll just be a better life. It'll be a new life. And he goes to his father. But when he gets to his father and he apologizes to his father for that he has sinned against not only heaven but him, his father didn't just say, okay, here's a low servant job or I don't want to see you. His father opened his arms up to his son. He quickly had his servants go grab a robe and shoes and a ring for his son. They had a feast because the son came home. That son had the guilt of sin, but then came home and confessed it. And our God does the exact same thing as his father. Our God, when we confess our sin, welcomes us up with open arms. Doesn't say, oh, you, you need to really work on your confessing. No, he welcomes us in. He welcomes us home. And so, However, we cannot stay in this place of confession. Even though it feels good that our God welcomes us back in every time we confess, we can't stay in this state of confession. We have the choice to move away from that guilt and move into the grace that God has provided us. 
And so now we move into point two, grace. I would like to paint a picture now of someone for you. I want you to imagine a man, and he is with 15 other guys. They are kind of on this mountainside. They've got raked shovels, and they're kind of digging, and they're making this kind of pathway a little bit on this mountain. But they aren't making a trail, and they aren't wearing just normal outdoors gear. All these men are actually wearing orange jumpsuits, meaning they are convicts that were sent to prison. And these guys, of course, are not behind bars anymore. They're still serving time, but they are out creating a fire line. They are actually fighting a fire. The, the state of California has created this program where convicts that have been sent to prison who have been on good behavior have the chance to go into a fire camp and learn how to become a wildland firefighter in hopes that they could be used to fight fires there in California, as we know have been getting worse over the years. Those convicts were just given a second life, a new life, a choice. Those convicts decided, you know what, I don't want to be a convict. I want to become something else. I want to change. And they decided to become firefighters. And the greatest thing about this program is the fact that when they parole, they, when they leave prison, they can get a job right away at any fire department because they have all the training and skills ready to go. They were given a new life. When we look at John the Baptist, he is mentioning this new life with baptism, which is a sign and a seal of God's grace. As God gives us the ultimate grace. It's a symbol of God washing our sin and guilt away, making us clean by his grace and setting us free. This is why so many people traveled to John the Baptist. They, they knew the sin kind of was bearing down on them and they wanted a new life. And John the Baptist even brought in that there's a man greater than him coming in later and that we need to make sure our, the paths are straight. Of course, that man was later on Jesus, of course. But all these people wanted a new life. They wanted to symbolize this change by baptism. And if any of you remember, we had a baptism Sunday this last summer where we had, I think, seven baptisms, but we also had remember your baptisms for the people who were baptized and might have strayed away from the church at one point in life, but came back. We still want to celebrate that. And so we remembered their baptisms and we had numerous people, a lot of you in this Sanctuary, in fact. But the chance to be in this new life can be absolutely life-changing, of course. And there are many people who have gone through this momentous change. One man we're going to look at today is George W. Bush. All politics aside, of course. But let's dive into his life story as 
he brings in our third point, gratitude. George Bush, of course, was the 43rd president, which if you're at the legacy service, you heard me say 42nd, then 43rd. I was barely alive for his presidency. I was a child. Uh, but uh, during his presidency, he helped this nation um, quite a bit as the leader of the United States. But however, he wasn't always kind of the leader type as back in the 1980s, uh, he lived a whole different lifestyle than he does now. His lifestyle back then was full of partying and drunkenness, and he was a mess. And one day he all of a sudden realized he needed to change because his marriage was in jeopardy which also meant seeing his two daughters grow up was also in jeopardy. He knew he needed to change. And even though he had strayed away from the church and then came back, he, became, he started this new life. And he knew right away this new life wasn't going to be alone. And so he had God with him. And he knew from the right then and there that because of God's grace, God was in control. He let God take his life. George W. Bush never thought he would be a political leader. He once told Queen Elizabeth that he was the black sheep of the family. As Jeb was a successful businessman, his father was a successful politician, George was not going to be cut out for either of those. But he prayed and God led him to become the governor of Texas, which then led him to become the president of the United States, which he also helped us through 9-11 and carried us through the aftermath that it came with. George W. Bush let God lead his life, and it led him down some brand new directions. If we go back to the teaching of John the Baptist, he preaches on being grateful for this new life God has given you and doing something with it. He talks about taking that gratitude and bearing good fruit for the kingdom. If you're not bearing good fruit, John the Baptist mentions that you are like a dead branch that is going to be tossed into the fire. James 2, 17 says, faith without works is dead. George W. Bush did not want to be a dead, just stick. He wanted to be this living branch with good fruit being produced. And he knew the only way to do that was if he let God take control and lead his life, that God was going to produce good fruit for him. We don't live on this earth to simply repent and sin again. We are put here to produce good fruit and do good works for God. We can't let our sin get in the way of that. Repentance is that way to break that cycle of sin. So I know that it's only day five, and if any of you are still have New Year's resolutions, good job. If you've given up like me, it's okay, it's fine. <laughs> But 
Uh, if you're still stuck on day four, well, you got catching up to do. Good luck. Um, but this isn't a resolution I have for you guys. All right? It's an invitation. I invite you to examine the way you walk through repentance. Do you go through all three stages of great, guilt, grace, and gratitude? Or do you get stuck somewhere along the way of those three? Are you stuck in your guilt? Because remember, friends, we have Christ who has been set us free. Are you living so much in grace that you have forgotten about living within God's law? Grace does not exclude us from living a life in obedience to God. It's not so that he'll love us more, but so that we can properly express our gratitude to our Father. 2020 is a new year, and even though I need contacts and lenses to be able to see, and some of you might be partially blind as well, I hope and pray that we can all see with a 2020 vision to focus on repentance and to seek what God has for us. Thank you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful town you've given us, a town that allows us to worship you freely and safely. God, I pray as we head out into this new year, new decade, you allow us to focus on repentance. And whether we are stuck in guilt or grace, and we're struggling with gratitude, that you will help us move forward. Be with us and lead us into the life that you are wanting us to live. God, I thank you for allowing all of us to be here this morning. In your wonderful name, amen.